0: Church this morning, we are in part three of our message titled, Contending for the Faith in a Transitioning Culture. In part one of this message, we looked at the importance of contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints and how we need to be aware of certain voices that have crept into the church unnoticed that are sounding an uncertain noise. This is an area of real concern, because if there is an uncertain noise going out from the pulpits, how then will Christians know when to engage in battle? You see, in every generation, there has been a battle for the Bible. There's been a contention for the faith. And as Francis Schaeffer said, the Christian must understand what confronts him antagonistically in his own moment of history. Otherwise, he simply becomes a useless museum piece and not a living warrior for Jesus Christ. We must understand that the world's spirit does not always take the same form, so the Christian must resist the spirit of the world and the form it takes in his own generation. These are sobering words to believers of every age, and may we be the Christians that resist the spirit of the world in the form it takes in this generation, or to put it symbolically, may we be the shepherds that are willing to step forward and take on the challenge of the giant that defies the armies of the living God in our own moment of history. Amen In part two of this message, we spend time looking at how Western culture has transitioned and how we have gone beyond what we once were to what we are now. Meanings of words have changed, and ideologies and ethics have been altered. There is a very specific agenda being promoted in Western culture, and as inclusive as it may sound, it is all part of Satan's attempt to pervert and distort what God has created, what God has designed, and what God has blessed. Satan is going after God's design of biological sex. He's going after God's design of marriage between a man and a woman and the exclusive sexual intimacy found therein. He's going after the biblical construct of the family with a man as the father and a woman as the mother and then children coming from that union. And Satan is going after the most vulnerable and precious of all of God's creation, both inside the womb through the means of abortion and outside the womb through the means of indoctrination. He's going after our children. This d- demonic agenda is thriving because as we identified in Scripture, when a culture rejects, removes, or replaces God, people become depraved, deceived, deceived, Delusional, and they even become demonically influenced and controlled to the degree that they begin to identify themselves as anything other than how God has created them. And, church, any created thing that rebels against the Creator and His perfect design for this world and mankind doesn't end well. But you know what? Satan doesn't care about that, he doesn't care about the demise of a culture. And this deception is all part of his elaborate plan to pervert and destroy a human life created in the image of God. So with that in mind, I wanted to really spend some time together looking through a biblical lens how we can engage and impact a transitioning culture. Because just knowing about what is happening means very little If we are not willing to contend for what we know about what is happening. Amen? It was Edmund Burke that said, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It also says in James chapter 4, verse 17, 17 therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin and so church there are three main themes that I want us to focus on as we spend or as we respond from a biblical perspective to a transitioning culture and how we can effectively engage and impact that culture have a look at the with me at the screens These are the themes that we are going to focus on as we hold the line on absolute truth and at the same time do it with gentleness and respect. So to speak, this is the how-to guide of contending for the faith in a transitioning culture. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but it is at least a good starting point. So number one, we are going to be looking at truth over a transitioning culture Because facts aren't affected by trends or feelings. Number two, actively discipling before the world does. Because truthfully, the world is currently doing a much better job in discipling people than the church is. And number three, be against the movement but for the people. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Amen? So let's get started. Number one, truth over a transitioning culture because facts aren't affected by trends or feelings. And church, there's going to be a couple of sub-points to each theme. And the first one I want to speak about is speaking the truth in love over just truth or love. Let me explain what I mean. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 tells us, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. Now, Paul wrote those words to the church in Ephesus in the context of, of what the church needs to look like as they live under the leadership of Jesus, who the Bible says is the head of the church. And so simply stated, that means that if you and I are going to look like Jesus as we go through our lives in this world, we need to speak the truth in love because that's what Jesus did. That's what mature followers of Jesus do. They speak the truth in love. Immature followers do one but not the other they either speak the truth in love which the truth with no love which irritates or offends people or they love people without giving them any truth which can lead them astray and that simply can't be the way that we operate so just for a moment or two let's talk about truth and how we navigate truth in this ever changing world today it's quite a quite a hot topic this right what is truth You know, historically, you would begin with the facts and let your feelings be influenced by the facts, right? But over the last several years or decades, in a culture that has been transitioning, many people today start with their feelings and then let their feelings determine the facts. In other words, the majority of people start with how they feel, with their personal preferences. They start with what they would like to be true, And then what they do is find someone who agrees with them. Because in reality, whether it's something you read or something you listen to today, you can always find someone who agrees with what you think, which is really what you feel. And this can even be the case sometimes with Christians who don't have a mature faith. Sometimes Christians go to the Bible to try to find a verse that supports the belief about a certain topic or to try and prove themselves right about something. But almost 100% of the time, that verse is taken out of context and it is not accurately interpreted. They think that they can create a a loophole by finding a verse of Scripture that they think supports their belief, but it's not based on fact. It's based on feeling. Let me give you an example there is a video I found circulating about a priest who has very strong feelings about the inclusivity of transgenderism into the church. So he made this statement about Jesus and said that Jesus was transgender. Have a look at this video and how he abuses the word of God for his own agenda. Have a look at this.
1: As humans, we have a tendency to construct God in our own image, rather than to recognize that we are made in the image of God, and therefore the dominant expression of humanity ends up writing itself onto God and making that God. Uh, and I think in in the story of Jesus, the stories of Jesus' life, we, we find that being broken down um, in, in some quite radical ways, which is then having the knock-on effect of altering the way we understand who God is in relation to humanity. So I think Jesus um, transgenders himself on a number of occasions. Um, I, I think, you know, just, just a little phrase, uh, Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, longing to gather Jerusalem as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Um, I think if you look at um, the foot washing from John's Gospel, foot washing elsewhere in both Old and New Testament, that it's consistently done by, by women. And yet Jesus takes that on. People often cast that as being the servant's role. It was the woman's role. Mm. Uh, and, and Jesus does it and becomes the woman at that point. Um, and I think you know, we've observed that you know, he's unmarried, he's childless, He defies gender and sexual norms of his day, he's known for associating with those whose own sexual history or gender identity may be ambiguous. So I think in Jesus we've got a revelation of God as encompassing far more than what historically, and recently at least, um, Christians have tended to construct God as being. And I think there's a bit of an antidote to uh, heteronormative idolatry in, in the story of Jesus.
0: By the way, the Bible verse that he used to support this statement is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, where Jesus says these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I want to gather your children together as a hen gathers her her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing." Church, I tell you what, I can't think of a more false and bizarre interpretation of a verse of Scripture that is actually in the Bible to show us the compassionate, loving, gracious, and longing heart for Jesus for all men and women everywhere to be saved. These uncertain noises coming from the pulpits are confusing people. They are confusing Christians. But this is what happens when you let feelings determine the facts. It was English theologian, Carl Truman, who said, Christianity tells the world what it does not wish to hear. We should not expect to be embraced by those whose thoughts and deeds contradict the facts of our faith. Nor should we seek to make our faith more palatable, lest the salt loses its savor. Accommodating the world's demands is a fool's errand. So church, let's remember... Truth without love becomes a nuisance to those who you really want to impact. But then there's the opposite side where love without truth is negligence because it can and will lead people astray. And that's why we need to speak the truth in love over just truth or love. Amen? Amen. The second thing I want us to look at under the theme of truth over a transitioning culture is Biblical sexuality over cultural sexuality. Because church, Satan's perversion of sexuality has become the gateway for people to align themselves with this demonic agenda. And I want to start by telling you a story. There's a story about a man who bought his son, who had just turned 18, a brand new and very powerful sports car one that was designed to perform only on the racetrack. The car came with a set of instructions from the manufacturer on how to operate it safely and responsibly, where to operate it, and the young man even went on an advanced driving course. At the first opportunity, he took it to the racetrack and had an exhilarating experience. Enjoying the speed and precision as he navigated the twists and turns all in the confines of a well-governed and safely constructed racetrack. Now, one day, without his father's permission, he decided to take that same car and drive it recklessly on the streets of his neighborhood. He disregarded traffic rules, speed limits, and the safety of others. Needless to say, it didn't end well, because the young man and some other pedestrians ended up dying. Because church, what was designed for a specific purpose, became a destructive force when used outside of its intended context. And here's why I share this with you. Because this gift given by the father to his son was good when used with the right instructions and within the right confines. But when the son went outside of those boundaries, it got really bad really quick and it led to destruction. Church, why am I telling this story? You see, God has given us the gift of sex. We are made as sexual beings, male and female. And He has entrusted us with that gift that is good, that is life-giving, that's for oneness and unity and procreation. But don't take it outside of that context and start breaking the rules as you please. Because there is a specific context as made by the designer for this purpose, and when you step out of, outside of that, it leads to destruction, it leads to death. Now, firstly, I want to point out that biblical sexuality is simple, unchanging, and life-giving. Simple, unchanging, and life-giving. In Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus refers back to Genesis and the creation account, he says in verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh." Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, it's very simple. God permits no sexuality, none whatsoever outside the confines and covenant of marriage. It is simple in the fact that it should take place between a biological male and a biological female. It is unchanging because once they are joined as husband and wife, they become one flesh. They become a union blessed by God until death. And more specifically, it is unchanging because God has not designed it to be changed or distorted in any way. At church, it is life-giving. Because the only way another human life comes into this world, the way that God has created it is when a biological male impregnates a biological female. To put it in more scientific terms, sex is a biological reality. Sex is linked to reproductive function. You can stand on your head, you can do flick-flakes, and you can try and run it through whatever filter you want, but this is the core of sex. In mammals, a group which we are a part of, the females produce a gamete, which is an egg, the males produce a gamete, which is a sperm, Right? These two things get together and they create new life. This is the scientific, biological basis of sex. This is why sex is binary. Binary means involving two things. And there's no discussion about it. And if you hear anyone trying to convince you otherwise, they are making things up as they go. You see, this is absolute truth over the contradicting views of a transitioning culture. And yes, life can and does originate outside the confines of marriage, but it is not intended to be that way. So biblical sexuality is simple, unchanging, and life-giving, but on the adverse, cultural sexuality is complex, ever-changing, and life-taking. It is complex because how many other genders are there? There are many, right? Like I said last week, there's differing different opinions on this because in my research, some say 14, some say 107. But the average consensus seems to be in the region of 72 other genders over and above male and female. Talk about complex, right? Because just to name a few, I'm going to give you a few of these, you can choose between Adam's gender which is a gender that is indefinable or indomitable. People identifying with this gender refuse to be categorized in any particular gender identity. Alexi gender is a person that has a fluid gender identity between more than one type of gender, although they cannot name the genders they feel fluid in. A mica gender is a gender fluid identity where a person changes their gender depending on the friends they have. Kale gender refers to the gender identity of a person that shares the qualities or aesthetics of outer space. Interesting that. Existed gender is where the person's gender identity exists only when they make conscious efforts to realize it. Gender fuzz refers to a person where more than one gender is blurred together. Two-spirit refers to a person who identifies as having both a masculine and a feminine spirit and is used by some indigenous people to describe their sexual, gender, and or spiritual identity. And then pangender or omni-gender refers to a person whose gender identity is not limited to one gender and may encompass all genders at the same time. There are many, many more but it's seriously complex and confusing and ever-changing because the list seems to grow as the movement grows. It's become this like fluid reality where you can, you can move into this gender then you can flow into that gender depending on how you feel. Now, gender theory, according to the United Nations Human Rights Office and also the World Health Organization, is now a social construct. Meaning, just as Karl Marx would say, the old way of thinking is repressive and oppressive. So we need to get rid of that. And now by the power of the populace, we need to overthrow these existing historical things that are oppressive to us. In the same way, when they say that gender and sex is a social construct, what they mean is, well, you just identify as a man or a woman because that's how you grew up. You grew up in a patriarchal society that says that's who you are. But if you really looked inside and knew yourself within, you would explore your sexuality. That's a social construct. And what they are suggesting is that you should throw the old ways off and become the real you. You do you and find your true love. This is the world that we're living in. So it's complex and it's ever-changing, but church, it's also life-taking. Because do you know the statistics of mental health among the LGBTQI community? According to a number of mental health institutions and other health organizations around the world, LGBTQI plus teens are six times more likely to experience symptoms of depression than heterosexual teens. LGBTQI plus youth are more than twice as likely to feel suicidal and more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. And a study done in the U.S. in 2022 said that 48% of transgender adults report that they have considered suicide in the last year compared to 4% of the overall U.S. population. LGBTQI plus individuals are more than twice as likely as heterosexual men and women to have various mental health disorders in their lifetime. Now, these are just numbers, right? These are just statistics. But a lot of these statistics actually end up in death. And that excludes the amount of death suffered due to sexually transmitted diseases. But you know what really shocked me when I did some of this research? is that in most cases, the writer or the researcher would add a footnote and either say these numbers are attributed to the discrimination or the segregation of the LGBTQI community or due to a lack of medical support for these individuals. Church, that's absolutely absurd because it's the same transitioning culture that is lobbied to redefine mental disorders relating to gender. I don't know if you know this, but the term gender identity disorder was included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as the DSM, until the release of the DSM-5 in 2013, which then changed the name to Gender Dysphoria. And this is their description. The change was made in recognition that being transgender is not inherently a disorder, but rather the distress or discomfort experienced by individuals due to a misalignment between their gender identity and their assigned sex at birth, which can lead to psychological distress. Gender dysphoria is now used to describe the distress that may be experienced by individuals who have significant incongruence between their gender identity and their assigned sex. It acknowledges the emotional and psychological struggles faced by individuals, listen to this, without pathologizing their identity itself, which means without classifying it as a psychological mental disorder. So church, get this. This terminology was implemented because it became culturally and socially oppressive to a certain group of people, but as a result of making this decision, the illness hasn't disappeared. Only now it can be masked by giving it a name that is more inclusive. This is not helping people. Because you see, church, facts are not affected by trends and feelings. And Satan's deception is leading to the mental, physical, and spiritual death of too many people in our world. Cultural sexuality is complex, ever-changing, and life-taking. And that's why we choose biblical sexuality over cultural sexuality. And you know, church, even though the culture of the day is in the business of transitioning lives, Jesus and the gospel is still in the business of transforming lives. Amen? And before I move on to the next point, I want to show you this video of an incredible testimony of how someone in the transgender community was transformed by the power of Jesus. Have a look at this.
2: Hi guys, my name is Ariana Armour. The biggest part of my story is that I was in the LGBT community for 16 years and that's the biggest thing that people know me by, transgender or transformed and there's a lot that goes into it. As I grew up, I started dealing with, you know, aside from, you know, the gender identity and, and sexuality, I started dealing with a lot of anger and rage and violence because i was so hurt deep down i ended up in a lot of mental hospitals on a lot of medications for things that i didn't even have but because people were scared of me and they didn't know what to do to help and they didn't know what they could do they decided to put me in a lot of uh, mental hospitals you know psych wards medicines counseling psychiatrists all of it i had i've been in and out of mental hospitals at least more than 10 times in my life once i had turned 18 I started transitioning and I started taking synthetic testosterone um, and I was ecstatic. I remember as soon as I took the hormones, I remember telling everybody on social media, I'm finally free. This is finally the person that, you know, I'm finally becoming the person that I was always meant to be. And I remember posting it everywhere, guys, I'm almost there. I was planning to have breast removal surgery. After I started transitioning, I I had been taking testosterone for two years and after I started transitioning. I uh, just remember feeling, you know, I'm still depressed, I'm still suicidal, I'm still struggling. Nothing really changed about my life except for my body. Ended up homeless and I was working out at the gym at the time and this girl had just, she asked me to go to church with her. And I remember saying, no, you know, God doesn't want somebody to like me in the church. I don't belong there. I didn't tell her that I was trans and at the time you, you couldn't tell. I passed very well as a male um but long story short ended up going that day and i encountered god for the first time ever i received so much and i i felt the love of god for the first time in my life and a year later i was living with my ex at the time um bought the ring you know about to start my life with this person and i'm in the prayer closet and i'm like god why am i not seeing breakthrough in my life i'm doing everything you asked me to do and all of a sudden god speaks to me and gives me a vision and he says in, in this vision there was a man and a woman on one side, and then on the other side, there was a man and a man and a woman and a woman. The man and the woman had babies. It was, like, glowing really bright, and it was like generations went down the line. And then on the other side, with the man and the man and the woman and the woman, there was a red line under their feet, and it was black because you, you can't recreate life that way. So I'm staring at this, like, vapor, like this vision in front of my face, and God speaks to me, and he says, I made man and woman so you could recreate and share the good news of my son jesus christ and, and he says if the devil can convince somebody a little boy or a little girl a man or a woman that they are gay lesbian or trans he said not only is the devil going against my will because the devil's will is always against god's will but the devil is wiping out entire family bloodlines and generations of people that i intended to be born will not exist for my glory so i just remember feeling wow, I've been really selfish my whole life. Everything in my life was based on my feelings. So the next day I went to church and I got set free of the demonic spirit of Jezebel. And I didn't know anything about demons. I didn't know there was a spirit behind homosexuality. I didn't know there was demons behind um, false identities, but there was. And I know now that James Harley, which was the name that I went by, James was a false identity. That was never who I was. But the devil stole my identity from a very young age. And that's why I believed I was born that way. And that's not something I ever thought would ever happen to me in my life. But once I allowed God to change everything, and I put myself in a position to say, you know what? I'm going to put myself aside. I'm going to put me away and everything I want. I'm going to put it over here to fulfill your will, not mine. That's when my life totally changed.
0: Amen, amen. Can we just give God some praise for his transformational power? Church, the final sub-point I want us to look at today under the theme of truth over a transition in culture, it'll be the last point I'll focus on this morning, is living in covenant over a decaying culture. Or to put it another way, living in covenant while living in a decaying culture. You know, something that disturbs me, and I'm sure many other Christians is how this transitioning culture has stolen the rainbow from God. Because it's God's rainbow, right? It's represented in creation and it's even represented in the Bible. We need to take the rainbow back and use it for what it really is. Why? Because it's a reminder to us that God made a covenant with us after the flood. Where you had the rainbow as a visible demonstration. That he promised to never again destroy the entire world by a worldwide flood. That's what the rainbow means, church. It symbolizes God's grace. That he's never again going to destroy the world in this way. Having said that, he still has fire. He still has fire. And you know what? He's going to use it. Because the Bible says that that's the way that the world is going to come to an end it's going to burn. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, listen to the question, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives As you look forward to the day of God and spirit, it's coming. So church, how do we live in covenant in a decaying culture? We need to live holy and godly lives. That's what we just read, right? You see, there's going to come a day when God's going to judge the earth and the people of the earth. And when he's done, he's going to burn the earth up. And those who are with him will be with him forever. And those who are not are going to be sentenced and eventually end up in the lake of fire. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But Jesus says, in the meantime, through the pen of Peter, what kind of people ought you to be? Answer, you need to, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In other words, church, we can't just be yelling at the darkness. We must be walking in the light as he is in the light, right? We cannot expect God to change a culture through our lives unless we are first asking God to change our own sinful hearts. Let me ask you a question. When you look around at the world, are you troubled by it? Of course you are. But are you more troubled by it than your own sinful heart? I hope not. Like I said last week, judgment begins with the house of God, and we must first take the log out of our own eye before we are able to help someone with a speck in theirs. We have to look at our own hearts. I'm going to ask the question again: What kind of people ought we to be in a transitioning culture? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, "Beloved." I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And as it says in Philippians chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Church, I want to leave you with that this morning as I begin to close. If we are standing in a covenantal relationship with Jesus, what kind of people ought we to be in a transitioning culture? We ought to live holy, godly, and virtuous lives. I would say that's really our point of departure before we can really impact others. Amen? Next time, we will be looking at our remaining themes of actively discipling before the world does and then being against the movement before before the people. To be honest with you, I struggled a bit this week because I was hoping to fit all of these themes into today's message But I believe the Lord wants us to linger a little longer because of the significance of this topic and how the enemy is deceiving so many people. I want to encourage you to send these messages out to as many people as you can. Start inviting your homosexual and transgender friends to church. Because maybe, just maybe, it reaches the ears of someone who needs to hear about the truth that Jesus saves, that Jesus heals, that Jesus forgives, and that they can have a complete identity in Him. Amen? Amen. Can we give God thanks for His Word this morning, church? Mm -hmm. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for the message that we've heard today. Lord, reminding us of the importance of contending for the faith in a transitioning culture. Help us to be aware of the uncertain noises that have crept into the church and in society, Lord, and to discern the voice of truth amidst the confusion that is everywhere we turn. Lord, we understand that in every generation there is a battle for the Bible. Give us the courage and understanding to resist the spirit of the world and the form it takes in our own time, and help us to be living warriors for Jesus Christ as we uphold the truth over the shifting trends and feelings of this world. May we stand firmly on the foundation of your word, unwavering in our commitment to biblical sexuality and the sanctity of marriage and family, and Lord, also speaking the truth in love over just truth or love. Lord, we also pray for the strength to live holy, godly, and virtuous lives as we remain in covenant with you. Empower us to resist the passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. Help us to keep our conduct honorable, shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and decaying generation. And Lord, give us the grace to do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we may be blameless and pure reflecting your character to the world. Help us to hold the line on absolute truth with gentleness and respect, leading others to the knowledge of your saving grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things and, and all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen.